Well, good morning, church. Great to be with you this day. Friends, let's just bow our heads in prayer before we dive into the word. Lord Jesus, we come before you this day, another day that we get to love you and to serve you and to look to your word. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts here present would be acceptable in your sight. Lord, our rock and our redeemer, we commit this time to you now. Guide us, Holy Spirit, into right understanding of this text. It's in your precious name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Amen. Friends, it's great to be with you this day as we look at Acts chapter 4, verse 32, and moving through to Acts 5, verse 11. That's going to be found on page 912 in the regular print and on page 1161 in the large print. If you could follow along with me, that's Acts 4, verse 32 to Acts 5, verse 11. Now we come this morning, friends, to the account of Ananias and Sapphira, a passage in one sense is, this passage is hard to stomach in one sense, but this account in scripture is here for our good. And so let's dive into this passage as we look to what God is saying to us in this text. First, we're going to look at the unity of the early church, which we see in Acts 4, verse 32 to 37, and then the account of Ananias and Sapphira, Acts 5, verses 1 to 11. Starting with Acts 4, verse 32 to 33, Scripture says this, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Friends, in verse 32, we see the true church, right? The, the full number of believers are of one heart, right? The very core, friends, of each believer's being is focused on the Lord Jesus Christ, Right, oriented towards heavenly things, one heart and one soul. There's this heavenly mindedness for the believer and for the church, the full number of those who believe, the fellowship of believers. They're unified in the good news, right? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Of course, they're united to Christ by faith, and they're of one heart and soul. They're unified in Him. They live their lives for Jesus together. Now, friends, as we look at verse 32 to 33, and as we move forward in Acts 4 and then into chapter 5, we see the early church's way of life here. And their way of life doesn't look like the way of the world. Right? The, the way of the world, friends, is the way of death, but the way of Christ is the way of life. Our question for us this morning is which way are we living, right? Are we on the way of death or are we traveling along the way of life, which is only through faith in Jesus Christ? So verse 32 to 33 of Acts 4, these believers are of one heart, right? One heart and soul. And one of the ways in which they lived this out was in the way that they cared for one another. Right? We see this in Acts chapter 4. Right? They cheerfully and voluntarily gave of their possessions. Now, just 
to restate an important point that we talked about this a few weeks ago already when we looked at Acts 2. These believers here in Acts 4 verse 32 says, no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Now just an important note for us. The Bible does not teach communism or Marxism. The Bible does not teach forced giving. What the Bible teaches is cheerful giving, okay? The Bible teaches this generosity that flows from love of God and love of neighbor, right? That's what's happening here. The Bible doesn't teach governments enforcing the selling of possessions. In Acts, we see here, friends, no one was forced to sell their possessions. Believers were free to retain or liquidate their property, right? We already spoke about this a few weeks back. But what we do see, friends, in verse 32 and 33 is this radical, cheerful giving, right? This radical love of neighbor and the way that they cared for one another, right? Not out of compulsion, not reluctantly, but lovingly, right? Giving out of love, helping others who are in need, being generous, friends, with what we have, because God in Jesus Christ has been so generous towards us, right? This giving out of love, that's the key to the context here of this radical generosity that we see here in verse 32 to 33 onwards. So it's in this context, friends, that these believers decide out of love to have everything in common. That's what happens here in the growth of the early church here in Acts. Really, friends, they lovingly live out Jesus' teaching, right? To, to sell their possessions, to give to the needy, not laying up for themselves treasures on earth, but laying up for themselves treasures in heaven. Friends, where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. We can learn a thing or two from this text. Verse 33, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Right, friends, the message of Jesus was going forth by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right, the Holy Spirit had been poured out and was equipping the apostles and the whole church for ministry. These believers were filled with the Holy Spirit, right? And they were bearing fruit. And we could see this in the way that they lived their lives, right? And the powerful message, friends, that was ringing loud and clear was that Jesus is alive. And that's still the message today. People were being saved, the church was growing, and great grace was upon all. Believers were bold in witnessing, and they were generous in living, right? These believers in Acts didn't even claim ownership over their possessions. Now remember, friends, there's nothing wrong with owning things. There's nothing wrong with private property. In fact, the law of God in the Old Testament and elsewhere in the New Testament endorses the legitimacy of private property. But we can learn a thing or two from this passage in Acts, from these believers, friends, who went over and above the tithe in order to support a growing church we can learn from their generous living. We see that in verse 32 to 33 onward. Friends, may the fruit of Christ's grace be evident in all that we say 
and do. That it would be so clear, friends, from our conduct that Jesus is alive. Let none of us ever live out of the heart posture of, that's mine, you can't have any. But let us share and care for one another, loving each other, and realizing, friends, that everything that we have has been entrusted to us by God. So let us live generously and share with others in need as we support the continual growth of the church, that the gospel would go forth, that others would see our love for one another and see Jesus, right? That the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ would be on display in our lives, that many would be drawn to Jesus and be saved, that many friends would find their identity and their salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ through faith. Let's keep trucking along here. Acts 4, verse 34 to 37. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Verse 36. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So verse 34 and 35, Christ followers are called to this generous, selfless way of life, right? Caring for one another, loving each other, being unified of one heart and one mind. This unity of the spirit on display in the church having a concern for the needy in the church, for the suffering, for the afflicted. This was a concern of the early church here in Acts, that they would cheerfully give, right? Giving as each has decided in his heart. Again, not reluctantly, not under compulsion. There's nothing forced here. But God loves a cheerful giver. This cheerful generosity is on display in the church. This love of God and love of neighbor right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Friends, that's not the message of the world, is it? The message of the world is more like this prideful self-love. The world says, focus on you. Focus on yourself. Make as much money as you can. Accumulate as many possessions as, as you can, right? Don't share with others. You've worked hard for this. You deserve it, right? Buy that next house. Buy the next cottage. Don't worry about the suffering. Buy that next car. Buy that next phone. Buy that next computer. I mean, store up for yourselves treasures here on earth, right? Become rich and powerful. Fulfill your heart's desire for fame and worldly status. Well, among other things, friends, that's the message of the world. But here's the message of Jesus, Matthew 16, verse 26 says this, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? That's the message of Christ. Friends, just like the early church here in Acts at the end of chapter 4, we are to care for the suffering and the needy in the church. Acts 4, verse 34 to 35, There was not a needy person among them, Right? Believers cheerfully gave, not out of compulsion, but out of love. 
right? Out of true love of God and love of neighbor. Verse 36 to 37 of Acts 4, if you'd look there with me, we hear of Barnabas, who plays a major role in Acts, and he's introduced here. Barnabas, who would be a great preacher of the gospel, and he disentangles himself from the affairs of the world. Right? Cheerfully, we hear, friends, that he sold a field, a field that belonged to him, and he brought all the money from the sale and laid it at the apostles' feet. Right? He was really willing the good of the other, living out of this love of God and love of neighbor in his generosity. Now, friends, I understand that some of this is hard for us, right? This cheerful and this free giving of money and possessions and all of this. We're a lot more conditioned by the secular Western view of life and wealth than, than we'd like to admit. But this is what the Bible teaches, right? This radical generosity, not forced, not, un, not out, of con, un, out of compulsion, but this cheerful generosity that arises out of love. This powerful display, friends, of caring for each other as Christ abundantly cares for us. All right, so Acts 4, verse 32 to 37, the believers are of one heart, right? They're focused on heavenly things. This is their way of life. Heavenly-mindedness, not entangled with the affairs of the world. They're not caught up with the affairs of the world. They're, they're looking to Jesus Christ, and this guides their whole entire life. Heavenly things. We see this in the way that they care for one another. The fruit of their faith in Christ. Friends, we too, we too must live in a way in which we're dead to the world. Let us not cleave to possessions or bow down at the altar of worldly wealth. Let us instead be of one heart and one soul right, living for the Lord Jesus Christ, overflowing with hearts of generosity, that we would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God's glory would be on display, friends, in our lives. We, too, must be disentangled from the affairs of the world. Let us live for Jesus and bear fruit. Let our minds, like the early church, be focused on the affairs of heaven, Right? One mind, one heart, one faith, one aim, one hope, one Lord, one baptism, one gospel. This is the aim of the Christian life. Heavenly mindedness focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. Not focused on the secular, but unified in aim. That we would not be controlled by our possessions or controlled by the secular way of life, which is really the way of death, because the only way of life is found through faith in Jesus Christ. So let us freely give and live in this li these lives of generosity, that we go above and beyond the tithe, cheerfully. All right, chapter 5, verses 1 to 2. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds 
and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. All right, chapter 5, verse 1 to 2. So, so far, friends, the end of chapter 4, we've heard of this true generosity, right? We've seen the example of Barnabas, right, a Christian who gives to the needs of others. So we see what was spoken of thus far, right, the end of chapter 4, now contrasted with what we see in chapter 5, which is this selfish, self-focused example of Ananias and Sapphira. So here, friends, in chapter 5, we encounter lies and deception. We encounter someone who seems to be religious on the outside, and yet is inwardly corrupt in the heart, right, with Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira, friends, are clearly not of one heart and one mind with the church, right, that we saw at the end of of chapter 4. With the example of Ananias and Sapphira, friends, we see what happens when one trusts in their wealth ultimately, rather than trusting in God truly. So let's put ourselves in the story. The early church is growing, right? The Holy Spirit is empowering the church. Believers are selling possessions, lands, houses to support those in need, right? Christ is doing a great work through them. The gospel's going forth. And then we hear that Ananias and Sapphira sell a piece of their property too. Now, if you were there, you may may have been thinking, wow, you know, it's so great that Ananias and Sapphira sold that nice property that they had and they gave all the proceeds to the the ministry of the church. Those two are a class act, right? They're so charitable. They they seem great. What, What a great Christian couple. Meanwhile, underneath this outward act is an unconverted heart that doesn't trust in God. Now think of it, friends. The conversation that Ananias and Sapphira had might have gone a little... A little something like this. So, Fire, I've got an idea. Everyone's selling land and contributing to the church. You know, I, I kind of like this Jesus thing. We might get something out of this. And we do have that one piece of property that we could sell, but I don't really know if this Jesus thing's going to work out for us. So, I'm thinking, let's sell the property, but let's only bring a portion of the proceeds to Peter and the guys. I mean, that way, if this whole Jesus thing doesn't work out, then at least, we, at least we have some cash on the side that we can trust in. But it's fine. We can tell Peter and the guys that what we gave them was actually the full sale price. I mean, what he doesn't know is not going to hurt him. Plus, no one's going to know. We're still going to look good, right? People will think we contributed the full sale price. It's fine. It'll be our little secret. I mean, they don't need the full proceeds anyways. Let's just say we gave the full amount. It'll be fine. I'll I'll just keep some for myself. I mean, for us. I'll keep some for us. Now, friends, Ananias is clearly not leading his home properly here, is he? This should definitely have been a point where Sapphira disobeys her husband as he's calling her here to do something that's ungodly. But as we see, and as we move through the text, unfortunately, she goes along with the lie and the deception. So what we see here, friends, in verses 1 to 2 and moving forward is Ananias' actions here essentially mimic the actions of Barnabas from chapter 4, 
but there's one key exception. Ananias withholds a part of the sale price while claiming to contribute it all. That's the key here, right? He, he wants to look good on the outside, but he's a deceiver. So Ananias brings their gift as though it were all of the proceeds from the sale of their land. And thus the couple engages in this falsehood. Their sin, friends, is in the deception, right? In their lie, their, ultimately in their lack of trust in God, which is rooted in their unrepentant unbelief. What we see here, friends, in this account with Ananias and Sapphira is that our holy God is not okay with unrepentant falsehood. Friends, in other, other parts of Scripture in the Old Testament where people are punished for sins related to both temple and community, we see that happen. So here in the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira are punished for their sin here in the early church. Now just pause for a second. Friends, as we go through this account, let us remember the punishment that we deserve for our sin and how God in Jesus paid the penalty for our sin on the cross. That through true, repentant faith in him, we gain the forgiveness of our sins. All right, we'll get back to the good news in a bit. Friends, as we look to this account, let us beware lest we ever fall into a remotely similar pattern of behavior that we see here in Ananias and Sapphira. One may look like a good Christian on the outside. You may be going to church, you may be contributing, all of these things, but yet your heart may be off. This is what we see here with Ananias and Sapphira. It's a heavy text. You may look like a Christian, but your heart may be off. You may not be a Christian at all. Acts 5, verse 1 to 2. Friends, let us not be like Ananias and Sapphira, who ultimately, we will see, friends, trusted in worldly goods rather than going all in and putting their faith in the Lord God. Right? They didn't trust him. Friends, we must fully, with everything that we've got, trust the Lord Jesus not trusting in our own bank accounts or our, in our own possessions. Let us beware lest we act outwardly as if we've given our whole lives to Christ when we've really only given, given him a portion, which really, friends, is nothing at all because meanwhile, we're trusting in our worldly wealth. This is what's happening here with Ananias and Sapphira. Friends, the true Christian life is, a, is not a life where we live a basically secular life with a little bit of Jesus. I mean, that's what Ananias and Sapphira thought they could do. Ananias and Sapphira thought that they could trust in God and money. But our Lord tells us in Matthew 6, that's not how it works. We either trust in Christ alone or we perish. Look at verses 3 to 6. We see the outcome of this unrepentant unbelief that's all that we see the deception that's uh, rooted in this unrepentant unbelief, ultimately. Verse 3 to 6, chapter 5. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit 
and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? I mean, like it was yours. You could have done whatever you wanted with it. Why did you engage in this whole lie? You could have done whatever you wanted with this. It was yours. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. All right, verses 3 to 6. Friends, we saw the example of spirit-filled believers, right? They trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. They bear fruit. In that context, we saw the generous, the generosity, that fruit in their lives. Yet here, Ananias' heart and Sapphira's heart is filled with Satan, right? Satan, who is the father of lies, right? So we see the contrast, the contrast that's happening in this passage, what Luke's trying to trying to show us, right? The converted heart of a believer, right, is spirit-filled. The unconverted heart of an unbeliever is Satan-filled. So Ananias and Sapphira here are deceitful with this outward appearance of charity, right? They do not ultimately trust in God. Instead, they lean on their own flawed understanding, right? They, they live for the world, Right, let, let's just keep some of the cash in the bank that will save us just in case this Jesus thing doesn't work out for us. They want to be thought of as eminent disciples, but they were not true disciples. So Ananias lies, he deceives, he contrives this whole thing in his heart, right? He falls into Satan's temptations. Friends, as we know, one of the marks of a true Christian is a repentant heart right? Well, this is not the kind of heart that Ananias or Sapphira had, right? Neither of them were convicted about their sin or, or even remotely worried about it. They just kept going along with this lie, and it led to their demise. Now, a quick pause for a second. Remember the context, because on first read, this can sometimes be confusing. God loves a cheerful giver, okay? Verse 4, Ananias and his wife had the right to keep all of the proceeds from their land. we got to get that straight first. Right? It was their land. Verse 4, well, it remained unsold. Did it not remain your own? Right? They could have done whatever they wanted with it. So what's the problem here then? Again, the problem here is in their deception that's rooted in their unbelief. Right? That they thought that they could deceive the apostles and the whole community and ultimately God. Right? Their deception, that's where the sin is, in how much they're bringing. Right? They want to be seen as outwardly charitable, charitable rather, and yet they are hypocritical. Right? At the core of their hearts, friends, we see Satan's schemes, right? their lack of faith in God. It's a heavy text. Now, friends, not only is it an issue to want to be seen by others as charitable, right? We don't give so that we can, you know, get accolades, right? That's, that's, that's the wrong intention. But on top of that, they also enter into this whole lie, right? So there's a lot of issues here that's rooted in their lack of trust in God. So verse 4, Peter tells Ananias that he has lied to God, the Holy Spirit. 
We know, friends, you can't trick God. And so, let us beware as we apply this to our lives and our hearts. Let us beware lest we are covetous of the world, the world's wealth, while being distrustful of God and his providence. I mean, friends, how many of us, to different degrees, live this way? You and me, right? Consumed by the way of the secular that leads only to death and hell, rather than consistently pursuing that narrow way that leads to life through faith in Jesus Christ. Friends, Jesus calls us to a way of life. And it doesn't look like the way of secular society that sole aim is wealth and profit. So we check our hearts this morning. Where are our hearts at? Where are we at? Ananias and Sapphira, they thought they could serve God and money. But you can't serve two masters. Our Lord's clear on this. Right? Sapphira and him thought that they could deceive the apostles. But it didn't work out well for them. By the Holy Spirit, we see in verses 3 to 6, Peter discerned this principle of unbelief reigning in the heart of Ananias. Again, friends, key for us to note, the crime of Ananias was not his retaining part of the price of the land. He could have done whatever he wanted with it, right? He could have been truthful. He could have gave what he decided in his own heart, right? God loves a cheerful giver. But instead, he decided to enter into this whole deception and lie. Right, to, to impose upon the apostles with an awful lie from this desire to make a, a vain show, right, joined with covetousness, which ultimately all was rooted in their lack of trust in God, this Satan-filled, unbelieving heart, right? Their hearts were filled with Satan, not the Spirit, right? This is the contrast that we see in this passage, right? This is the issue. Let us read this account as a warning, Commentator Matthew Henry said this about this passage when he was commenting on it. If we, think to put, if we think to put a cheat upon God, we shall put a fatal cheat upon our own souls. So, verse 5 to 6, Ananias breathes his last and is buried. The wrath of God comes against sin. And that put the fear of God into everyone who heard it. All right, let's keep moving. Verses 7 to 10. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they'll carry you out immediately. She fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. So here, friend Sapphira, she's got an opportunity here to tell the truth, right? To repent over her sin, to turn, right? To turn from her sin and to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, right? This is really that opportunity right here. To tell the truth to Peter. But instead, she goes along with the deception. Again, if only she disobeyed her husband here, 
because he required her he required her to go along with something that was against God's commands husbands out there we talk about this all the time hear this call to point your wives to Jesus to lead your home and wives you're only to submit as long as he is pointing you to Jesus if he asks you to do something that, that's against God's commands, you are to disobey. But Sapphira enters into the deception, and Sapphira's lies here in verse 7 to 10. This is really a clear indication, friends, that the couple intended to mislead Peter, right? The deception, right? That's the key. That's the problem here, rooted in unbelief. Instead of being filled with the Spirit, they're filled with Satan. So like Judas, friends, who was deceived by Satan... And in rebellion against God, Ananias and Sapphira are met with a decisive fatal end, right? God's wrath comes. Sapphira here in verses 7 to 10, she too ultimately didn't trust God. And she too walked the way of death. The blind Ananias leading the blind Sapphira, they couldn't see the way of life. Friends, oh how many in our world are walking on this way of death, right? The blind leading the blind. As institutions in our, our world guide countless souls into falsehood and, and death and hell. Friends, let the true church of Jesus Christ preach the truth, right? Guiding souls to trust in God, to be saved through faith. Guiding souls to the heavenly shores, that's our job. Ananias and Sapphira were too caught up in worldly living. They missed Jesus. They missed the Savior. They missed salvation. It all ultimately led to their demise. Friends, in this heavy account in the New Testament, this is in reality a mercy to many. That we would meditate on this account. That we... From this account would remember who God is. He's holy, holy, holy. And we'd remember who we are. That we are sinners in need of a savior. That in and of ourselves we're not holy, not perfect. But we remember who God has sent to save us from our sin. Jesus, the savior. By his work, friends, we are declared clean, holy, if we repent over our sins, right, believing in and trusting in Christ alone for salvation, we will be saved. We will not have to bear the same outcome as Ananias and Sapphira. For the true disciple in Jesus Christ, Jesus has already paid the price for our sin. He has died for us and in our place where he bore the punishment that we deserved for our sin. Now, friends, this account of Ananias and Sapphira, in other places in the New Testament, Christ would protect the purity of his church through the orderly process of church discipline that may lead to excommunication if necessary. But in this account, we see this instantaneous reality, this instantaneous um, judgment of God that comes against the sin of Ananias and Sapphira ultimately rooted in their unbelief. And this is a warning call for us to take God seriously. 
Let this text cause us to examine our hearts, to go to God in prayer, to trust Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. Friends, let us not profess faith in Christ falsely. Let us confess our own hypocrisy and covetousness and vainglory in true repentance. And friends, let us be assured of Christ's forgiveness available to us this very day, right? Maybe for the first time this morning to turn from your sin and to trust the Savior, to be assured of his forgiveness for you this day. For the wages of sin is death. This is what we see in the accounts here. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, Romans 6. So let us not be like Ananias and Sapphira. Let us not try to serve God and money, but let us trust in Christ alone for salvation. That we've been given the gift of faith, this true faith that will persevere till the end. Friends, if you are saved in Jesus Christ, you will reach heaven, not because of anything that you do, but because of what Christ has done for you and is doing in you. And ending here with verse 11. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. It's a heavy text. Friends, let us have a healthy fear of the Lord. Reverence for who God is. Knowing God and knowing what he's able to do. As our Lord says in Matthew 10, 28, he says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Friends, as we said last week, there's only one way of salvation. There's only one way to heaven, and it's through true faith in Jesus Christ. Friends, we'll never get to heaven by our own works. Even being in Christ, our good works will not outweigh our sin. If you trust in yourself and how good of a life you lived, you will find yourself bearing the same outcome as Ananias and Sapphira, bearing the wrath of God for all of eternity in hell. But if you trust in the mercy of God in Jesus, repenting of your sins truly, trusting him for the forgiveness of your sins, you will be saved if you truly believe in Jesus Christ. Not just saying you believe, but truly believing and bearing fruit Having this living faith that stems from the fact that God has caused you to be born again and has given you a new heart that believes and that this repentant faith would drive your life. This new heart that guides the way you live and act for all you who fear the Lord. And as always, friends, as we say here, it's not a perfect walk, right? It's not a perfect walk. But for the true Christian, there will be an upward trend, right? Where we grow in holiness as Christ finishes the work that he started in us and brings us to heaven. We can have assurance in our strong Savior. Where we will be with him for all of eternity in peace and joy and rest and perfection. All right. You may be sitting here this day thinking... Well, this text is heavy. It is. It's heavy even to, to preach it. 
He may be looking at this text thinking, is this me? Am I like Ananias? Am I like Sapphira? Is this me? Well, in one sense, friends, yes. And it's me too. We all engage in falsehood and deception. But here's the thing. If you're here this morning and you're worried about your sin, right? If, if you're worried about your sin this morning, then friends, that is the evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. You're not Satan-filled. You're Spirit-filled. The Holy Spirit, even now, convicting you of your lies and falsehood and deception and vanity and vainglory and striving after secular success and wealth and money. If you're worried about your sin this morning, that's the evidence that the Holy Spirit is convicting you of your sin, that you are a spirit-filled believer who trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ with true repentant faith. You who believe in Jesus, the punishment for your sin has been paid for in full. It's finished. You do not have to bear the same outcome as Ananias and Sapphira, as those who are unrepentant and unconverted in heart. But unlike them, you trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins with repentant faith and with a converted heart. Friends, the cross of Christ has brought you peace and reconciliation with God. All you who fear the Lord, you can experience the joy and the peace and the rest in Jesus Christ even this day in your hearts by faith. Available to you this day. Friends, he has you here for a reason. He has you on this earth for a reason and for a purpose that you would experience the joy of Jesus Christ, the joys of heaven available to you right now in prayer, in the reading of his word, in worship, in fellowship, in the apostles' teaching. Christ paid the penalty for your sins on the cross. He died the death that we all deserved because of our sin. He bore the wrath of God in our place, and he rose from the grave in victory. Jesus is alive. And for all of us, friends, who put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are justified and saved by him from the wrath of God. We receive the forgiveness of our sins. His perfect record of law-keeping is credited to our account through faith. And we will reach eternal life because of what he has done. He finishes the work that he starts always. And it's all through grace alone. Our salvation is a gift. Nothing that we have done. So, as we go from this heavy text, let us remember the joy of the gospel of King Jesus. Let us not presume on his grace. Let us remember who God is. Let us not be caught up in lies and deception. 
but let us live out of love of God and love of neighbor, that our lives would be marked by truth, not falsehood. Friends, let us not be those who say they are religious when their hearts remain hard and unconverted, like Ananias and Sapphira. Instead, let us trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us trust and serve God, not money. Let us bear fruit rooted in true faith as Christ works in us. Let us live generous lives going over and above the tithe because God has been so generous towards us in Jesus. Friends, let us never take the gift of salvation for granted. Let's remember God's holiness from this text and remember his mercy for you this morning in Jesus. Believe in King Jesus. May your heart be converted to Christ and you will be saved. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this day. We thank you for this text of scripture, weighty and heavy as it may be. And it would call us to repentance. It would convict us over our sins. But that it would not leave us hopeless because we have a hope in Jesus. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you bore the punishment that we deserve and you offer us eternal life, the forgiveness of our sins, and your perfect righteousness through your sufficient merit, Lord, that we are saved. Thank you, Lord. Let us experience the joy of heaven this day and forevermore. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.